transitions are usually challenging. Um, transitioning from any one situation to another situation, just based on the facts, is pretty challenging. Things like having a child, or having a child graduate high school and move to college, or losing a job, or moving to a new city. Just based on the facts of transition, those are challenging enough. But then when you start adding in the opinions of others about the options or the ways that you should respond to the transition, it makes it incredibly more complicated. Maybe you've been given the advice from people to, to wait. That when a transition happens, you should just wait, don't do anything. Or maybe some of you have been given the, the option of, you should hurry up, like that should have been done yesterday. Or maybe some of you to, were told, you should be a little bit more defensive. And that you should just sort of let things come to you and respond at the right time. Or maybe some of you were given the option to respond of, you should be assertive, like you should take advantage of it, get ahead of it and respond right away. And we can really learn a lot about our own tendencies and opinions of how we respond in transition, but we can also learn a lot about other people's tendencies and opinions as well. But the real challenge is sort of understanding the underlying principles that led to us responding the way we did in transition or learning about other people's underlying principles that led them to respond the way that they did. And this is really where communication breaks down. And this is where miscommunication happens and misunderstandings lead to conflict because ultimately the response really isn't the issue. The way that we respond isn't really the issue. It's sort of the underlying thing that goes around it because depending on the transition, we've all sort of responded by hurrying or waiting, right? <laughs> we've all sort of responded by being assertive or being defensive. The response isn't necessarily the issue. It's the underlying principle that led us to that option and that way to respond. Um, and this is really where we are in America right now with reopening our country. And that there's a lot, of, the, the, a lot of facts about this transition that are really sort of difficult to decipher. But now we're starting to hear the opinions of other people about how we should reopen and the ways and the options that we should reopen. Things like wait, like we shouldn't do anything right now. Or some of us are hearing about hurrying, like that should have been done yesterday. Or maybe you're hearing things like being defensive and um, letting things come to us and then we'll respond at the right time. Or being assertive and getting ahead of things and, and responding right away to the situation. Um, and this is really sort of an oversimplification, right, of this transition. There are so many complex components to our country reopening and, and dealing with this transition. But I have been bothered by a few underlying principles that I've seen Christians talk about online. And the way that they talk about this transition, I think there's some underlying principles that need to be addressed. And so I hope that we can do that together today. And the good news is that Jesus and his early followers addressed some of these exact principles that we're going to talk about today and we've been seeing during this transition. I want to give you a few disclaimers though before we get started. Disclaimer number one, um, I'm going to try to stay away from the political side of this particular transition to reopen America and I'm not going to necessarily go that direction with the politics of it. However, I do sort of hope that I offend both sides of the political spectrum and all sides of the political spectrum and some of what Jesus says might offend some of you. And if you start to feel a little bit uneasy, I want you to, I want you to stop and I want you to ask two specific questions. What is really causing the uneasiness that I'm feeling? That's the first one. Be honest with yourself. And the second thing is, who is actually causing the uneasiness that I'm feeling? Is it Jesus? Is it Paul? Is it me? Or maybe it's you. So disclaimer number two, generally as a speaker, I try to focus my energy on communicating one principle or one single point throughout the message. However, today, I want to sort of talk about three different principles that I'm going to try to boil down to one main idea, one main point, and I want to follow that up by some of the things that our church is considering during this transition phase that we're in. 
Disclaimer number three, I'm probably not gonna share anything new about this idea or any of these principles today. However, I think many times we don't necessarily need to be told something new. We need to be reminded of something old, maybe in a new way. And that's really my goal for us in our time together today. Um, I usually tell my kids to eat the food that they least like first or to do the homework that's the hardest first. And so I'm gonna start, I'm gonna lead by example and start with the most difficult principle first and that is freedom. And freedom is sort of an elusive principle for many people because um, some people don't have it and they found it or some people uh, had it and then they lost it and yet there's other people who have freedom but they don't understand it and unfortunately there are still people who never find freedom in this world. And freedom or a lack of freedom can really be understood in various different areas of our life, right? It's, it's, it can be understood in various different ways. Um, the first is sort of the literal way of understanding freedom, which is like slavery, right? If you're not free, you're a slave. Or some other government or society or group of people are sort of controlling you, maybe your family or maybe parents specifically. If you're a student, you feel like that. You feel like you don't have much freedom. Um, another way to understand freedom is in financial terms. Uh, maybe it's debt. Or maybe it's the, the uh, inability or the, or the limited ability you have to buy a house or to pay for your kid's school or to invest in that opportunity that is out there before you. Um, other way, another way to understand freedom is through addiction. Um, drugs, money, sex, alcohol, uh, eating. All those different things can sometimes be a way that we understand freedom or a lack of free, freedom. But really I think the most challenging aspect of freedom is our national sense of freedom. To understand our freedom of speech and religion and, and freedom of press and the opportunities. And Oxford sort of defines freedom, the Oxford Dictionary defines it this way, the power to act, speak, think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. And this is really where the context of freedom uh, is really incredibly important. And um, none of us though actually live our lives exactly by that definition. Or we don't live our lives that, by that definition for very long until we get into prison, right? Like you can't completely live that way. And for some of us, it might be helpful, and for some situations I should say, it might be helpful for us to understand what the founding fathers meant by the word freedom. But for right now, I think for Christians, it's more important for us to understand what does freedom mean in the context of Jesus and our faith. And so that's what we're gonna look at with freedom. And if you don't know, Jesus followers really haven't always had the freedom that we sort of experience in this country, that in places where they lived, in countries where they lived, in regions where they lived, in empires where they lived, they didn't have nearly the level of freedom that we have today. Or they at least didn't view freedom the way American Christians view freedom. That the early followers of Jesus, though, they did have tension still around the idea of what freedom really was. And that specifically, um, one of the points of tension was around what they could eat. And um, there was people in these times that would offer food to an idol or to another god. And the Jesus followers would say, can I eat that food? Like it's not offered to the god that I worship because we don't need to offer food to an idol or a sacrifice. So can we even eat that food? And Paul addresses this tension around the freedom of what they should eat. And if you don't know, uh, Paul was somebody who, um, before he became a Jesus follower, he used his freedom to arrest and to persecute Christians until he became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, he started planting churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. And then he would write letters back to them to help address the tensions that they were facing. And one of the letters that he wrote was to address this idea, or part of the letter was to address this idea of the freedom of the, to eat the food offered to idols. 
And he says this in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 8. Um, we're going to be there. If you want to follow in the Bible app, you can do that. The notes are there. You can also follow along the bottom of the screen. We'll have the notes there for you as well. Also in the chat. Um, beginning in verse 1, he says this in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians. He says, Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we all have knowledge, he puts that in quotes, about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. And he really is saying that we all have knowledge. We all have some sort of facts, maybe. We also have opinions, but we all sort of have this knowledge about it that can make us sort of feel important. But it is something else that really matters, Paul would say. And it's love. And he says that strengthens the church. He continues on, verse 2. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. Now, isn't that true? Like beyond COVID-19, we can all think of like the opposite side of the political spectrum from us and people on that side that just, they claim they know it all and they just don't seem to know anything. And we should probably also look at our side of the political aisle and probably even at our own selves and looking at this situation that we don't know all the answers. And Paul's sort of hinting at and getting to an idea of humility in what he's talking about. He continues on in verse eight, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat, we don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. That we don't get any closer to God by the food that we eat or the ways that we eat. It's so much bigger than that, Paul would say, I think. However, he doesn't continue on. He does not say this. So with, the, so with your freedom, eat whatever you want. He doesn't say that. Or so with your freedom, eating isn't an issue. It's not even a problem anymore. He doesn't say that. He stops and he gives us a contrast. He says this in verse 9, but, which is the contrast, you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Another translation, a different translation says it this way, be careful, however, contrast, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. That using our freedom should not cause others harm. And when Paul is sort of referencing this idea of stumbling block, he means that we're all sort of on a spiritual journey together. We're all sort of on the spiritual journey. We're maybe in different places. And whatever we do and our freedom, we should choose to do with our freedom, should not hinder or get in the way of anyone else's freedom or them getting closer or having the ability to get closer to Jesus. Now, I want you to remember the Oxford definition of freedom that we talked about. And I think we all sort of interpreted it initially the same way. However, uh, freedom is the power to act, speak, think, as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Now, when we think about that, we think about other people hindering us and our freedom or restraining us and our freedom. But I think Paul gives us a little bit of insight on how we should also view that, that we shouldn't cause hindrance to anybody else or we shouldn't restrain anybody else in their pursuit of freedom as well. That really, um, Paul continues on and basically says that our freedom we really shouldn't use our freedom in any way that gets in the way of somebody else and their freedom. And Paul says this in verse 13. He says, So, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. And Paul isn't just saying that we shouldn't use our freedom, that we should use our freedom, we shouldn't use our freedom if it hinders somebody else. Paul is saying we should sacrifice our freedom for somebody else so that other people can experience freedom. Paul's saying we should sacrifice our freedom for other people so they can experience freedom. And what Paul is talking about really sort of revolves around the misunderstanding or, or one people group of people's understanding about 
food sacrificed to idols and it's a little bit of a problem. And the thing is that he's saying that the people have like sort of a, a different understanding of it. But he says, if that's gonna cause them a problem, you shouldn't do it. Because for some people, they grew up in this environment. They grew up in an environment where sacrificing food was just a part of who they were. And he says they may never get, be able to get rid of that. And so you shouldn't cause them to stumble by eating that food around them. And Paul's solution was to help those who are more vulnerable and are struggling to sacrifice their freedom. That for the people who are more vulnerable to struggling with something, we should give up our freedom to do that thing. And so underlying principle number one is that freedom really must include sacrifice. That we sacrifice our freedom so that others have freedom. And on the surface, this doesn't sound like the American view of freedom, right? But the holiday that we just celebrated last weekend, on Memorial Day, we remember the people who sacrificed their freedom to live, to be with their children, to be with their spouse. They sacrificed that freedom so that other people, us, today, could have the freedom to live and to be with our spouse and to, to help raise our kids and all those things that they sacrificed, we now have the freedom for. And in some ways, they sacrificed their freedom so that we could sacrifice our freedom for the next generation, right? Like that's this continuing cycle of things and the way that we celebrate and sacrifice our freedom. The next principle that we're going to look at today is about responsibility that we really feel as Christians, we have a responsibility to sacrifice our freedoms for other people. And when I think about that idea of this responsibility, the first picture that comes to mind is parenting. That parents sacrifice their freedoms to be with their friends a lot of times. Parents sacrifice their freedoms to, um, to stay up late and wa binge watch their favorite show. In fact, my wife and I gave away our TV when we first became parents because of that issue. Um, parents also sacrifice their freedom to, to go on a road trip across the border. That parents love to do those things and we mostly like to do those things. My wife and I like to do those things. And so we sacrifice, we choose to give away our freedom to do those things so that our kids can experience freedom and learn about other things and have other experiences as well. And Paul really was talking about this idea of this responsibility to sacrifice our freedom. It wasn't even really his own idea. He actually got it from somebody else. And who did he get it from? The most church answer ever. He got it from Jesus because Jesus said these things and he lived this out, what we're gonna read next. John chapter 15, verse 12, he said this, this is my commandment, love each other, in the same way I have loved you. Now pause for a second. When he says this, it sort of has a completely different meaning than when he actually ended his life. That when he said this, it meant one thing. And it meant that he was sort of caring for people. He was caring for outcasts. He was healing people. It was difficult enough on its own. But by the end of his life, this meant something completely different because he was willing to sacrifice his freedom. He felt he had the responsibility to sacrifice his freedom for others, for us, so that we could experience freedom through, living, through God, living for God and experience freedom from sin. And so the meaning sort of changed from when he said it to actually the end of his life. He continues on and says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he sort of caps off this powerful statement by saying that there's no greater expression of love than to sacrifice one's life, sacrifice one's ability to, or freedom to live than to give it to somebody else so that they can have the freedom to live their life. And so underlying principle number two is that our responsibility is to love. That the, the really the reason that we sacrifice our freedom is out of love for other people. Underlying principle number one was um, freedom really has to go with sacrifice. It goes together. Underlying principle number two is responsibility. Our responsibility is to love. 
Principle number three is really an important point about transition, um, and it's sort of used uh, against each other sometimes, against other viewpoints and uh, against people that have an opposite viewpoint from you. And it's used a lot in politics right now. And the principle is fear. The principle is about fear. Because in talking about freedom, no one really identifies their own views or their own political party or their own platform as being fearful. And yet, uh, I want to describe some things, I want to read some things that, um, I want you to tell me if this is slightly different but still accurate to some of the things you've been hearing recently. If we give up our freedom to do whatever, then we are afraid more freedoms will be taken away as well. If we open up too soon, then we are fearful that this virus will get out of control. Now, I don't want to further spoil your 2020 party, but both of these things could be true. That history seems to indicate that governments or people leading governments um, have a pattern of either taking away freedom from their people or they at least have the propensity to take away freedom from their people, even the freedom to live in many situations and many circumstances. Science also seems to indicate that if we don't continue to keep social distancing or at least keep social distancing until we have a vaccine or a treatment, then this virus could overwhelm our healthcare system and bring about tragic death tolls in our country and in our world. But the good news is we don't have to be controlled by fear. That fear doesn't have to control us or be a weapon that people can use against us. That really almost all fear is based on the idea of something hurting our bodies. And Jesus knew that. And so Jesus would talk about this over and over again with his followers. And one time he was talking about this. He was about ready to send out his followers to go and help people and to go and heal people and do these amazing things. And he sort of gives them a pep talk or he gives them some things to remember along the way. And he says this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. They cannot touch your soul. For only God can, who can destroy, fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And we might think like, what a great pep talk, Jesus. Like that, no, like that's kind of seems a little bit strange. Like you're telling us not to fear the people who can hurt our bodies, which is the basis of all fear. Like how can we not fear them because they're going to hurt our bodies? That's what sort of fear is. And it seems like it's not a good solution. But Jesus provides us with an alternative view or alternative response in those situations that God can protect your soul, which is far more valuable or far more important than your body. The problem is that while we're in our physical bodies, it's hard for us to appreciate or even really understand what he's actually talking about. That our physical bodies will die, but our souls are sort of eternal. Now, Paul, again, he sort of picks up on what Jesus says, and he sort of takes it, continues on, he talks about it this way. He says, um, in Romans chapter 8, he talks about fear. He says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither, fe neither fears, uh, for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you'll humor me for just a moment to interpret, maybe sort of add to Paul's list, let me add it this way. Neither the policy of our governor nor the Santa Clara County Public Health Department director Neither the president, nor the senate, nor the house, nor conservatives, nor liberals can separate you from the love of God. They can take away our religious freedoms. They can rush us back too soon and we all get COVID-19. But nothing and no one will ever be able to separate you and separate me from God's love.
And if you aren't a Jesus follower, or you're just kind of checking it out, or you're not so sure about that eternity thing, this next point is for you. That principle number three is fear is less than God. That we really believe that following Jesus can lead us to a place where our confidence in God overwhelms our fear. And you can come to a place where you don't have to be afraid anymore that God and your confidence in him will overcome and overwhelm your fear. And I think that this is a place where Jesus wants to lead everybody. And he invites everybody to go to this place where you don't have to be afraid that your confidence in God can overcome that. So along with sharing with you these underlying principles that we think are an important part of this transition, or really any transition, I also want to give you sort of an initial update about how our church is facing this transition of regathering together. Um, we do have a leadership team that is examining and kind of coming up with a comprehensive plan of how we're going to get gathered together again. And we're using the term regather and not reopen because really our church was never closed. We just couldn't use our campus the same way that we would like before. And so while we don't have a timetable for when we're going to gather again, uh, we expect to gather online for several more Sundays and probably maybe a little bit longer. Some of the things that we are considering when we're coming up with our regathering plan are we're considering our county and our state mandates, that we are going to try to follow the law the best that we can. Um, we're also considering our ability to follow safety procedures and to keep people safe because safety is our top priority. We're also considering our ability to adjust if an outbreak happens in our community or happens in our church. And we're lastly, we're wanting to consider um, the impact of our, on our reputation in the community because we want to be known as a church that loves our community. And we think our response in this transition will reflect that. And the reality is that this transition is, is, is challenging for a lot of ways. It's challenging for you personally. It's challenging for us and several different organizations. Um, some people are going to see our response as just simply reflecting our view of authority and of government. Um, other people are going to see our response as reflecting our view of um, freedom and our responsibility. But the thing is, I think that for Christians, all of us in our response to this transition our response is going to reflect something about Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves some difficult questions. Do we want our response to reflect a self-serving freedom? Or do we want it to reflect a freedom that is willing to sacrifice just like Jesus was willing to sacrifice his freedom? Do we want our response to reflect an unloving obligation that we sort of feel like we have to do something? Or do we want our response to this transition to reflect a responsibility to love just like Jesus loved? Do we want it to reflect fear? Because very easily our response to this transition could reflect fear. Or do we want it to reflect our response of hope that we have in a God who's so much bigger than anything in this world? I want to end this message by reading to you um, a mess. Uh, I want to read you um, something that I wrote in an email on March 8th as we sort of were starting this whole COVID-19 situation. And um, some uh, part of this email that I want to read to you is this. It says, while we cannot control the virus, its spread, or the impact it has in our church, we will do everything we can to be safe, cautious, and healthy. And we appreciate your cooperation and commitment to help us to do that. We also want to remember that God has not called us to live in fear, but in love. In moments like this, we want to value, love, and protect those who are most vulnerable. As the early church dealt with plagues, their lack of fear or anxiety showed their community the power of Jesus' resurrection and of his love in their lives. As Paul wrote to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So let's be praying for those affected around the world by this virus. 
and let's do our part to take care of each other by washing our hands. We haven't heard that for a while. By washing our hands, minimizing the risk, wearing masks, and staying connected. And as we make this transition, we want to invite you to think about your response to this transition, and we hope that your response to this transition will reflect Jesus. And we would invite all of you to that same response together, that we would sacrifice our freedom so that others can have freedom, that we would sacrifice our freedom out of a sense of love and responsibility to other people, and that we would follow Jesus to a place where our faith and our confidence in God could overwhelm our fear. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for these passages. We thank you for Jesus, who really showed us the way in transition, that he went through several different transitions, the most important one of going from being hailed as the king to then being crucified. And what we learn about Jesus is so profound for us in our life, that as we think about freedom, he was willing to sacrifice his freedom out of love for other people. And then he also helped show us the way that fear doesn't have to control us, that, that really you wanted to lead your followers to a place where fear wasn't controlling their lives, and you want to lead us to a place where our confidence in you overwhelms our fear. So God, whatever one of these areas that we might be in right now that might be the biggest area of struggle for us, whether it's freedom, whether it's our responsibility, whether it's fear, God, would you please point that out to us? And would you help us to then be honest with ourselves? And God, would you do that work, that like heart surgery, that, that touching on that area of our lives that we just don't seem to want to deal with or we just aren't sure how to deal with? And then God, would you do something powerful in our hearts that you'd help us to sacrifice in a way that we've never sacrificed before and we would do it out of a sense of joy, out of a sense of love for other people. That, that, that place of fear in our lives that just seems to overwhelm us so much that, God, you would lead us to a place where we could have confidence in you that you are with us and you will help us and that you protect something so much more valuable than whatever that fear is addressing. God, would you please do that thing in us that you need to do? Would you help us as a church as we respond to this transition that it would reflect you? And God, individually as people, would you help us to respond to this transition as people that would reflect you as well? It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen.